Good morning. It is good to be worshiping with you this morning. My name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, probably the best way to get to it is to start at the end of your Bible and work your way uh, back towards the front. Uh, so you go Revelation, hit some Johns, James, and then a pretty lengthy book, the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're actually going to begin this morning at the end of the book of Hebrews. So join me in Hebrews chapter seven, or sorry, chapter thirteen. Hebrews chapter thirteen. I'll read uh, really the benediction of this book. Hebrews thirteen, starting in verse twenty. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory Forever and ever. Amen. That's a powerful couple sentences, is it not? So I have to ask this morning as we endeavor into study of this particular book of the Bible, what is the goal of your life? What is the goal of your life? Like when you think about the end of your life, what would you like to be true about your life. Not when you get to the end of today or the end of this week or the end of this month or anything else. When you get to the end of your life, what would you like to be true about you? The passage that Pastor J.D. read a moment ago from Ecclesiastes chapter 7 said something that I've always found very surprising. What the preacher said in Ecclesiastes 7 is that it is better to go to a funeral than to go to a feast. Is that not surprising? Right? We don't think that way. I think like, hey, what would you like to do today? Would you like to go to a funeral or would you like to go to a feast? Sign me up for the feast. But the preacher says, no, 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 it's actually better to go to a funeral And he says the reason is because when you go to a funeral, you comprehend, you think about your life and the reality that one day that's going to be you in the box. And so my question is, what is the goal of your life? In the short passage we just read, the writer of Hebrews has a massive goal for his audience. His goal is that they would live a life that is pleasing to God. Notice what he says. He says, now may the God of peace, right? And this is a typical starting of a benediction type thing. May the God of peace do something. Well, after he describes who this God of peace is and how he does it, he prays that the God of peace, verse 21, would equip you with everything good, So that you might do His will, 
Well, what would it look like to do the will of God? Well, it would be God working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, in God's sight. So His goal is that we would live a life that is pleasing to God. There were a couple of days this week as I was reading this and I just kind of like zoomed into this benediction. And, and I just, this thought captured me like to live a life that is pleasing to God. And I was like, yes, Lord, like that's what I want. When I get to the end of my life and I'm the guy that's in the box, I want to say that I've lived a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I want to get to the end of my life and hear God say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. Everything else can just go away. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. That's what I want. But then I started thinking, man, how's that even happen? Right? Like, how can I, with all of my sins and my failures and my shortcomings and my personality quirks, and everything else. Like, how could I live a life that is pleasing to God? Then I remembered, oh yeah, I'm supposed to preach a sermon this Sunday. I started thinking about you. I started thinking about your sins, and your failures, and your shortcomings, and your personality quirks. I started to become a bit hopeless. How could we live a life that is pleasing to God. I came to realize the horrific truth. If God leaves it up to us to please Him, we're going to fail. Every single one of us. If it's up to us to please God, we are going to fail. So then I picked Hebrews back up and I started back at the beginning and I realized that the writer of Hebrews doesn't leave us just with this big, massive goal for our lives, but he's actually finished talking to us and showing us how we could have a life that is pleasing to God. Those of us who are going to be preaching through this book and those who will be leading us in worship through singing uh, over these next several weeks, we, we sought this week to summarize this book. And so we did so in this way. Big overarching Summary of this book. Remain faithful in every situation, looking to Jesus who is superior in every way. So, how will you get to the end of your life and have lived a life that pleases God? Well, remain faithful in every situation. Looking to Jesus who is superior in every way. My task this morning is to give us an overview of this book of the Bible. How the author brings us to this place. To do this, we're going to look at the overarching path of the book. I'm not going to read the whole book to you. However, that would be an excellent use of your afternoon or your Monday morning or sometime during this week to read through the book of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews. It will probably take you less than an hour if you're an average reader. Probably less than an hour. But we're going to do a bit of a flyover. We're going to see where he starts the book. Then I'm going to fly over a significant section of the book at about 30,000 feet. And then we're going to land and look at one 
significant section of exhortation from this book. And then we're going to conclude where we started here in chapter 13. Okay, So where he starts, a flyover, an exhortation, and then we'll land back in chapter 13. So the first question is, where shall we start to think about a life that is pleasing to God? Where do we start? If you start to think about, all right, where can I go? How, how should I begin this thought process and this, this work to please God? You see, society would tell you, if you want to live a life that matters, if you want a life that, that you're satisfied with at the end of your life, what you need to do is look inside yourself, right? Isn't that what society's telling me to do? You need to look inside yourself. They tell us that deep down within each one of us is a better version of us, and we just need to tap into that somehow, and when we do so, that's when life will really start to turn around. You just need to just find that better person inside yourself. Have I summarized our society correctly? I know I'm old and out of touch for some of you, right? Have I summarized it relatively well? Just look inside yourself. There's a better version of you in there somewhere, right? Just keep looking in there. That's a lie. It's a lie. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The truth is we cannot start with ourselves. Looking deep inside yourself is, is going to lead one of two places. Either you're going to look deep inside yourself and you're going to lie to yourself about what you see and see and say that you're really awesome. I'm awesome. Look how awesome I am. And then when like objective evidence comes into your life that shows that eh, maybe you don't have it as figured out as you think you do, you're going to blame everything around you, right? Because it can't be that you're not awesome. It's got to be all these other things that are the problem. That's one path that could lead you to town, is pride. To say, I'm awesome. I've got this figured out. Any problems that show up in my life are really somebody else that's causing the problem. The other path it could lead you down to look deep inside yourself is it could lead you to despair. Complete despair. As you look inside yourself and you realize, I'm a really sinful, broken person. And if this is where I've got to go to help, there, there's no help. And so it leads to despair. So, so really looking inside yourself is either going to lead you to pride or it's going to lead you to the despair. And then you can just survey your life and when you've done this, or you can survey your friends' lives, or you could survey society as a whole, you can survey whatever you want to, you will see that looking inside yourself is either going to lead you to pride or to despair. Neither of which leads to a life that pleases God, and really isn't a life that you'll be satisfied with on your deathbed. So we must start somewhere else. The place we need to start is the place that Hebrews starts. We must start by looking at Jesus. The first place, our starting point in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see that God has spoken through Jesus Christ. God has spoken through Jesus Christ. Pick it up with me in Hebrews chapter 1 at the very beginning of the book. Hebrews chapter 1, very beginning. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We're going to stop there. So the author of Hebrews starts with these amazing, powerful statements about the Son of God. And he says that God has spoken to His people through His Son. He used to speak through prophets, but now in these last days, He has spoken through His Son. He also tells us that the Son of God has made purification for sins. Right? So sin makes us dirty. It, it actually leads us to death and destruction. But, but the Son of God has made purification for sins. And then what did the Son of God do? The Son of God, after making purification for sins, sat down. I love that. Sat down. The work of purification of sins is finished. He's accomplished it. It's completed. The job is done. He's going to take a seat now. There's some powerful truths in this section, but the point that I want you to see right now is that the work of purification of sins is completed. The work of God speaking to His people is completed. He sent His Son the exact imprint of His nature. There's no more prophecies that are needed. There's no more new revelations that are needed. God has spoken. It's an interesting way to start a book, is it not? About what has happened. God has spoken. The purification for sins has been completed. And now Christ is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, don't hear me say that Jesus is not doing something right now. He is, and we're going to get to that in Hebrews. But the point that he starts with is what he has done. What has been completed. Church, as we seek to live a life that is pleasing to God, we need to start with the Son of God, and that is Jesus Christ. You do not need to start by looking deep inside yourself for some better version of yourself. You do not need to look to the newest fad or movement that everybody else seems to be following around you. You do not need to look for the new and impressive sounding teacher or leader that you need to follow. Ah, this is the person that everybody else is following. I need to follow them as well. You don't need to do that. You you don't even need to go sit alone in the woods somewhere and wait for a special revelation from God. You don't actually need to do that. God has spoken. What God has spoken is recorded in His Word, the Bible. In John chapter 1, Jesus Himself is called the Word. He is the Word who has become flesh and dwelt among us. Is how John describes Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus tells His disciples, the resurrected Jesus tells His disciples... Hey, hey, this Bible, it's all about me. Isn't that crazy? 
Jesus said, if you're curious, like, how do we interpret Judges? How do we interpret Samuel? How do we interpret Ecclesiastes? Jesus told his disciples how to interpret it. It's all about me. It all points to Jesus. And so if we want to learn about God, we want to learn about the Son of God who makes purification for sins, we simply need to open our Bibles and learn about Him there. I am concerned when I hear people tell me like, you know, I really hear from God really well when I'm fishing. Or I hear from God really well when I'm on top of a mountain somewhere. Or I hear from God really well when I'm on a beach somewhere and just looking out at the ocean. And listen, there's some, there's some really good that can happen if we can just get away from the hustle and bustle of life. And so if that's what you're doing, like I just got to get all the other noise of my life out of my mind so I can focus on God and what He's saying. I just want to encourage you, bring your Bible when you do that, right? You're going to go to a hike to a top of the mountain, bring your Bible. You're going to go sit on the beach and look out at the ocean, bring your Bible. What is God speaking to you through His Word? You don't need something new. You need what God has spoken. You don't need something new. You need what Christ has done. God has spoken through Jesus Christ. It is not surprising where the author takes us next as he launches into this powerful book of the Bible. So next we see in our flyover that we are to look to Jesus who is superior in every way. Look to Jesus who is superior in every way. As soon as we get to verse 4 of chapter 1, the author is launching into the vast expanses and awesomeness of Jesus. He starts in the heavens. He starts with angels. Angels were highly thought of by the Jewish audience that the author of Hebrews is writing to. Jesus, he says, is superior to angels. In chapter 3, he turns to Moses. Moses was a hero of the faith for Hebrews. He says Jesus is superior to Moses. In chapter 4, he turns really to the entire sacrificial system, the entire Old Covenant, focusing in on the priests of the Old Covenant. He says Jesus is superior to all the priests, Jesus is superior to all of the high priests. Jesus is the final and eternal high priest. He ushers in a better covenant, a new covenant. Turn with me to chapter 8. Chapter 8. Chapter 8 begins like this. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Can we just stop for a second? I love when biblical authors do this. Right? It's, it helps. Like sometimes you're reading, you're like, where are you going? Where are you taking me? Sometimes it feels like we kind of meander. Like, man, we're talking about angels. We're talking about priests. We're talking about blood and covenant and Melchizedek. And I got to figure out how to say Melchizedek. Right? All of that's happening. And then they say... The point we're saying is this, like, oh, good, all right, what are we talking about? Bring me back in. The point we are saying is this, we have such a high priest. 
one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. I love that. So we who believe in Jesus, we have a perfect high priest, we have a minister in the holy places who is sitting at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author draws our attention to Jesus and all the aspects of his superiority. He tells us to look at Jesus. He tells us to consider Jesus. He actually has many phrases that he's going to use as a placeholder for Jesus. Sometimes he'll say Jesus. Sometimes he'll say Christ. Sometimes he'll say Son of God. Sometimes he'll say the one who is seated seated at the right hand of majesty on high. Right? He uses all these different phrases to describe who Jesus is. He says, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Find your confidence in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. Jesus is superior to anything else and everything else you could possibly look to or gaze upon or think about. So I have to ask, what are you looking to? What are you fixing your gaze on? What captures your attention, and your affections. When you allow your mind to wander, what does it wander to? Some of you say, I, I never let my mind wander. If, if my mind is about to wander, I pick up my phone. Right? My, if my mind's about to wander, I turn on some music, and that tells me what to think about. No, no, no. Just, so maybe some of you need to just shut some of that off, and you do need to get away from the distractions of this life. When your mind wanders, where does it wander to? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? What are you gazing upon? What are you looking to for confidence to walk forward in this life? See, we as a people, we spend far too much of our time and mental energy looking at, thinking about, focusing on, getting other people to focus on the temporary, trivial things of this world. And we spend far too little time looking at, gazing upon, thinking about, helping others to think about the amazing, awesomeness, wonder, superiority, preeminence of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus in whom we have assurance. It is in Jesus where we can find true confidence. It is in Jesus where we can have purification for our sins. It is in Jesus where we can enter into the presence of God. Nothing else is going to do. Here's the bad news for us this morning. The bad news is that whatever you are looking to for your confidence for your salvation, for your assurance, for purification of sins, if it is not Jesus Christ, all of those things will fail you. It is only a matter of time. It will lead you down a path to destruction, ultimately focusing and putting your hope and your confidence and your faith in these earthly things. Ultimately, they will lead you to hell and an eternity separated from God and everything good. That's where it's leading you. Right? 
And, and yet we start sentences with, with things like, well, it's not so bad if I. Well, some of those things are actually leading you to destruction. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. If you will turn and look to Jesus as your only hope of salvation, you will be saved. And what will happen is Jesus will usher you into the presence of God. Did we get like God, the, the creator of the universe, God. Jesus will usher us into His presence. And ultimately, the end of that path is to spend eternity forever with God and with all of God's people and everything good. That's where we'll be forever. Those are the two paths that, that you, you could be on. One is towards destruction, eternity apart from God and everything good and all of God's people. The other one towards life, towards God, towards the presence of God, being with the people of God and everything good. And it's interesting, here and other places in the New Testament as well, it starts by what we're looking at. Look to Jesus and be saved. I can't think of a better day than today to make that turn in your life. Right? If you're like, wow, I, I, I'm on that path to destruction. I can't think of a better day than today to turn and look to Jesus and place your hope and your faith in Jesus for your salvation. And then, what you get to do is you get to spend your entire life looking to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, get, ushering other people in to worship Jesus, seeing that He's superior in every way to everything else. We sang a song last week. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. What's going to happen? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I love that the author of Hebrews brings us to this place. He continues on. He shows us that we're not just supposed to stop with like inter interesting information about who Jesus is. A lot of people read the, the first portions of Hebrews and they come up with lots of interesting facts about Jesus and they just rest in information. That's not where the author is leading us to. The author does not lead us even to just sit still and wait for eternity, right? It's not like, okay, I'm saved now. I'm going to hang out and hunker down and just wait for Christ to come back, right? Or I'm going to hunker down and just wait till I die, right? That's, that's not where he leaves us. He actually leaves us to walk this out in our actual lives. He's showing us how all the powerful truths that he's saying is to affect our lives in the here and now, this week, this day, this hour, how I'm supposed to walk in the Lord. These truths of Jesus, these truths about Christ, will give us the confidence and the assurance, he tells us, that we need to live out this life faithfully in all the circumstances that life throws at us. He gives us this book as an exhortation. That's what he calls the book at the end of it. It's an exhortation. 
And there are exhortations throughout the book about how we're supposed to be living in this life. And so we're just going to look at one of these exhortations together. So turn with me to chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 19. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verses 19 through 21, this paragraph summarizes at the very beginning of this paragraph, those first couple of verses, they summarize some powerful truths that the author has just spent chapters to elaborate. We're going to get to all that. But I want you to see the application that these truths are pointing us towards. These truths are to cause something to change in us. Ultimately, that we would walk in faithfulness. Notice what this faithfulness looks like. Verse 22. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. We don't have to run away from God. We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to God. It is the blood of Jesus and His priesthood that causes us, that allows us to be able to draw near to God and enter into His presence. Therefore, we should draw near to God. Verse 23 says, Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We are not to be people chasing after the winds. We are not to be people who are chasing after every new fad or every new device or every new idea. We don't need to be people chasing after every new parenting technique or every new dieting trend. We don't need to follow every news story that happens. We don't need to follow every viral video or viral hashtag that happens. We don't have to chase after those things. We can hold fast to the confession in Christ. And we can do it without wavering. Life's hard this week? Hold fast to your confession. People are mean to you this week. Hold fast to your confession. Money is short this week. Hold fast to your confession. People are trying to convince you to adopt a new way of thinking and doing. Hold fast to your confession. Don't waver. Hold fast. He tells us other things. Verse 24 and 25 He says, draw near to the community of believers. This may seem shocking to you. Stir up other believers, not towards the latest thing, but towards the love and good works. He says, don't neglect to meet together with the believers. 
Don't neglect gathering together with the church. And when you gather, he tells us to encourage one another. Looks like the world is ending this week. That's okay. Looks like things that are getting worse than they ever have been. Stir up one another. Gather together. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the last day drawing near. Perhaps this feels a little too simplistic. Right? You may be thinking, Brian, you started big. right? You said, I'm going to be in a box at some point at the end of my life. And I need to think about how my whole life is going to be pleasing to God. And how I'm going to walk faithfully before God. And now you're telling me, come to church? Encourage the guy sitting next to me? Like that's what you got for me? Yeah. That's what we got. Draw near to God. Draw near to the people of God. You may be thinking, you may come in here and you might be thinking something like, man, I need to, I need to do something big for God. Right? I feel like God's given me a lot of like skills and talents. I need to do something big. Maybe you think, man, I've really messed life up. Right? I've just messed up lots of life. Years, decades, whatever it is. I need to do something big to like counter, like counteract the balance. Like I got the balance... Lots of bad stuff. I need to do a lot of good stuff. Right? Nope. That's not how it works. In some ways, I appreciate the sentiment. Right? I do. But the Bible must confront us on this point. The goal of the Christian life is to walk faithfully before God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Draw near to God. Draw near to one another. This is what faithfulness looks like. Doing the things that draw you near to God and draw you near to the people of God. That's what a faithful life looks like. It really is simple. Perhaps that's why Jesus said, my yoke, my manner of life is easy. My burden is light. Come to Him. Find rest in Him. The author of Hebrews is going to talk about finding rest in Jesus. Right? As you look to Jesus, if that like, spins up this energy level in you, like, oh, i got to do a bunch of stuff. You haven't quite looked at who He is and His completed work. We are to come to Jesus. We are to rest in Him. Draw near to God and His people. That's one of the big expecta- uh, exhortations in the passage. Draw near to God and His people. This is a life that is pleasing to God. Let me read again from Hebrews chapter 13. We are to live a life that is pleasing to God. Hebrews 13 verse 20. Hebrews 13 verse 20 again. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The author of Hebrews is clear. He desires that you be equipped to live a life pleasing to God. He is clear that you will find this life by starting with Jesus, not yourself. 
He is clear that Jesus is superior to everything else that you might put your hope and your faith and your trust in. Jesus is the only one who can usher you into the presence of God and allow you to live a life that is pleasing to God. The author of Hebrews is also clear that a life that is pleasing to God is one that is lived out drawing near to God and drawing near to the people of God. The goal of life is not ultimately for us to solve world hunger or even to evangelize the entire world, certainly not by yourself. It's not even to be the most awesome version of yourself that you can imagine. It's not the goal of this life. It's not the goal. The goal is to live every day walking in faith before God through Jesus Christ. We're going to be in this book of Hebrews into the new year. Hard to believe we're what I just realized it's October. Uh, I know it's like the second day, but you know, sometimes we take a second to figure things out, right? It's October. So we're going to be in Hebrews for a little while into the new year. So let me encourage you to commit to a few things from now until the new year, right? Sometimes we try to make commitments like for the rest of our lives and like, It just doesn't work, right? So let me just give you a couple, uh, three commitments uh, that I would encourage you to do from now through the new year. It's like a pre-New Year's resolution, you can call it. Call it whatever you want. I don't really care. Number one, draw near to God. Like, tangibly do so. So start every day. Start every day with time with the Lord. Brian, I can't do that. Hang on. just I don't care how much time. I'm not talking about that. I didn't say an hour. I didn't say five hours. I didn't say 15 minutes. I didn't say 30 minutes. I, didn't, I said no time. Just start your day with the Lord. If it's five minutes, start with five minutes. If it's two minutes, start with two minutes. Just start your day by tangibly starting with the Lord. Maybe you start reading through Hebrews if you don't have a a reading plan. Or maybe you start reading through one of the Gospels so you can learn more about who Jesus is or or something. But just a paragraph a day. Something. Just hear from the Lord. Read from His Scriptures. Start every day with time with the Lord. Draw near to God. Number two, gather with the church. Commit to be here week after week. I understand that uh, there is travel that will happen. Marine Corps Ramadan is coming up, right? Where like the Marine Corps takes off the months of November and December with like 4,000 holidays. I'm exaggerating. I understand that, right? But like, so I, I get that. If you can arrange your travel to be back on Sunday or to leave like after church on Sunday or something like that, you should do that. If while you're traveling, you can find another body of believers to gather with, you should do that. Like, man, I'm visiting family and they they don't go to church. That's okay. They'll they'll do without you for an hour and a half. They'll survive. But gather with the saints every Lord's Day from now till the new year. Every Lord's Day. Commit to do that now. Thirdly, press into Christian community. Ryan, you already said come to church. Nah, this one's a little different. 
genuinely press in to Christian community. This is not the easiest church to just come in, sit, and then leave and hope nobody noticed you were here. It's not the easiest church to do that in, but people still do it here. Um, There's other churches that it's really easy to do that, Um, but don't do that. Like, don't just come on Sunday, not talk to anybody, and then sneak out as fast as you can, right? Like, press in to Christian community. Join a community group. When you show up to the community group, like, show up, right? Like, okay, I, I don't like being around people, but this is for my good, right? It's for my good. Like, show up ready to know other people, to be known by other people, right? When you show up on Sunday morning, pray to God. Like before you get out of the car, especially those of you that like struggle being around people, and I, man, I commiserate with you. I really do. Um, before you get out of the car, Lord, show me someone that I can encourage today. I'm, I'm here. I made a commitment to be here. But now, Lord, I, I want to be used while I'm here. And I want to encourage somebody while I'm here. Stir one another up towards love and good works. Man, you see another Christian doing something bold. You notice another Christian doing something that's commendable in the Lord. Encourage that brother or sister. And I see what you're doing. And you might think you're alone, but I just want you to know I'm here with you. I'm praying for you. And I want, I want to see God's will done in your life. And I want to see God's will done through your life. Press in to Christian community. Live a life that is pleasing to God. How? Remain faithful in every situation. Looking to Jesus, who is superior in every way. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. That's an understatement. We need you. Those of us who know you, we want to be equipped with everything good so that we may do your will. We want to do the things in this life. We want you to equip us and show us how to do the things in this life that will please you. We get so caught up in the fleeting pleasures and trials of the here and now. We need your help to walk in the truths of your word. So Lord, we ask that you would help us. And Lord, for those who do not yet know you, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. We ask that you would grant them the humility to bow Before you. The humility to realize. They cannot do it on their own. The humility to realize that they need a Lord. And a Savior in their lives. And Lord we ask you to grant them the courage. To call out to you in faith. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.